$5,000 in Bitcoin if you ever want to hear your podcast again. Hey, what the fuck? I have developed a very specific set of likes and Fetishes. dislikes over the years. Oh. I'm a slut for podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Sam, you'd think that at some point we would start trying to plan out intros, but instead we just come into it and have the shittiest cold opens and we just fucking I have go given with this it. podcast every ounce of my creative love and affection. Okay. Really? I have serviced co-hosted this podcast for over a year with the utmost love, dedication, and effort. What the fuck is the cat doing? trying to get you that bitcoin stop eating the dust off the floor it's dust it's not for eating it's skin is it rohan no it's a goddamn dust bunny stop it gaia get out of there Meow. i would like to take a moment because i keep realizing that i continue to forget to do this that i have just a few corrections to previous things that i've said and i want to make a habit of doing this so first of all I said in a previous episode that angels on your body is a thing that evangelicals will sometimes say. And as a matter of fact, it's a thing one person said in one documentary that I saw once. And that's it. That's the only point of reference that I have for it because I don't know anything about Christianity and I've never spoken about a lot of it. And I haven't met very many people who hold these kinds of beliefs because I'm just not in a position or place that I can do so. It's so. true. Brad doesn't know much about Christianity. I tried to explain about uh, the, the butter lamb for Easter and they had absolutely no idea what I was talking about. Yeah, I don't know what that is. It's just it's just butter in the shape of lamb. That's Why? it. I don't know. I'm not in charge of Christianity, but it's just a thing that you have on Easter. You have a butter and it is shaped like a lamb. Sacrificial lamb. So it's it's like the Paschal lamb? Yes. Sure. Okay. Anyway, that's it. That's the only correction. I've had more corrections in the past, but I felt really kind of self-conscious about that after recording it because I looked it up as if it was a thing that people said. And it is a thing that one person said in one Louis Theroux documentary once. And that's it. So listeners, angels on your body. Welcome to Hell. I'm Brad. I'm Sophie. And this is Monster Friends. With benefits. And we are here today to provide you the podcast content that you have been absolutely salivating for. I just, just for the, just because Sophia and I were discussing this before, I want to be very clear. I, you have been wanting, waiting, wondering, asking for this podcast for... <sighs> forever and that's what i want to prepare for you listeners of our podcast you done am i ever done no will i ever be done no because that's one of your favorite jokes is to get real close to the mic and make mouth noises i'm trying to just get a good consistent fucking distance from the mic because if i don't have my face near it i can't all right, we'll do this because I, if I'm if I'm just like wander listeners, give us feedback specifically. How does this sound? If I'm here and I just start talking and turn my head to the left, away from the microphone, all the way until I'm looking at the cat, and then I slowly turn my face back towards Sophia, and then slowly back towards the microphone, and then continue on past the microphone to look to the other side, to where perhaps there would be another cat, but there isn't. There's just all of my lock picking stuff, and there's this freezer, and then I turn back to the microphone and all that. Do you like that? I bet you fucking don't. Anyway, we're here today to talk about the award-winning film Schindler's List. <laughs> God damn it. 
Shawshank Redemption? Uh, closer. There was a fishman in that one, right? Crash? No fishman. David Cronenberg's Crash. Sorry? You're not familiar with that one? No, I'm not. It's the one, it's the one that with features... With the fishman? No, people who are sexually aroused by car crashes. Mm. That's real. I didn't make that up. Oh, I wish you were. There's a new David Cronenberg movie I just saw a trailer for. Oh, dear. Mm-hmm. Instead of pulling that up, I'm going to tell our audience that they are here today to listen to us talk about Guillermo del Toro's 2017 masterpiece, The Shape of Water. Absolutely. It has nothing to do with car crashes. Perhaps the there is a car crash in the film. Two, oh, I guess. perhaps the most famous monster fucker film of recent history. One of the most beautiful things put to film, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Merely because I have not had my face in a motion picture yet. Exactly. Or more importantly, my butt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be better if I had said that instead of you just saying it? Define better. Mm, all right. Listen, it's important to have like a healthy self-esteem. It's mm-hmm, good. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Selfie health esteem. I'm actually now having a hard time believing that there isn't footage out there of both your face and your butt. <laughs> As they are slowly merging together to become the same thing <laughs> over the years. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, before we get going into any of our direct topic-relevant stuff, Sophia. Yeah, that's me. What's up? So, uh, to watch this film, we got together this morning, and we had brunch. It was very gay. And before that, I had had some of this cold brew, and so I was very awake for the film, and I feel like I was, uh, you know, funny and responding and good and then afterwards i got very sleepy very fast and now i'm trying to drink another one of those to see if i can um be awake again the s in sophia stands for sleepy yeah it do it do listen i have spent a lot of time making my bed a very specifically like comfortable little space like it's i have like it's all curtained in first of all and then i have like I have a heated mattress pad in there, which is one of the best adult purchases I have made ever. And a few years ago, I spent my uh, tax return on a new mattress. So that's nearly new and super nice. So like my bed is so cushy. I spent more time and effort and money on my bed alone than like my kitchen at all. And I stand by this decision. Well, you... You well, lie I, yeah, I do. by this decision. I also have uh, very important art in there. I don't know if I've directed your vision to look at the art that is. Regrettably, I have not been inside of your bed cave. That's Well, the art consists of, one, a very large print of Fleur de Mal. Not Fleur de Mal. Jeannie de Mal, uh, which is a beautiful uh, statue of Lucifer. <laughs> Just kind of sitting there like... Is that the second one after the first one was yeah. too horny? Yeah. And this one is the hornier. Yeah. And then I have two prints one are of women kissing winged men. And I have those like specifically. Like all of the men that are pictured in the art in my very like romantic cozy bed cave have wings like that is the standard i have for men now is wings or no although i don't suppose if a man had wings he'd actually be able to fit in there it's actually a fairly narrow space and like to have wings the actual size that could support a human being that have to be fucking massive you know what 
I can dream. If if a man had wings, I'll bet you he could fit into the important places. Hey. How are you doing? Well, I am more recovered from my surgery than I was previously. That's usually how recovery. <laughs> Generally. I still get the old tingle foot pain leg from time to time. Sleep is still a bit of a challenge, but it is a little bit better pretty much every day. And I am trying to slowly increase my walking since that's the only outlet of physical movement that I have right now. And my body craves physical movement and my concussion slash weird migraine symptoms also crave exercise and physical movement or they get worse so i start to fall apart if i'm not doing stuff and i am glad i'm slowly able to start doing stuff again although it's very funny i have super like sensitive uh pelvic tenderness right now yeah tell me about your pelvic tenderness if one of the so i'll put it to you this way listeners you don't know this but i have a tendency to carry all my keys on me at once and they dangle from my belt loop. Oh, man. I'm glad you finished and that sentence with belt loop. I don't have any interesting piercings. So <laughs> as I'm walking from time to time, these keys will sway back and forth. And I have been asked by people before, Brad, don't your keys constantly hit you in the balls? The answer to that is, do you have weak balls? <laughs> the reality is, I mean, kind of, but like not in a way that is in any way painful or uncomfortable, like not in a way I would ever notice, unless I had very sensitive pelvic region and the slightest bit of contact doesn't just hurt, but makes me nauseated pretty much immediately. So if like the cat climbs onto my lap and like their little paw just goes over my hips or my pelvis or at all, anywhere down there, I am in pain and nauseated for several minutes. Yikes. So I sleep sleep with a pillow on me in case one of the cats decides to walk over me. And I put my keys in my pocket because, ow. But in general, the walking is going well. I am returned to work. I'm back up to three jobs again. Hooray. (laughs) Would very much like to quit job number three. But, you know, when student loans kick in and I got to pay another uh, 660 bucks a month, it's uh, going to be real fun. That's how I'm doing. But I also got to have brunch with a dearly beloved friend whom i love very dearly today who's that oh you might know her (laughs) she lives in your mirror ever since you trapped her there (laughs) and i try to go over to your house as soon as i as often as i can so that i can see her and tell her that she is gone but not forgotten Mm -hmm. and that someday i will slay you and return her to this earthly plane Mm -hmm. good luck Mm -hmm. You have recently gotten a sword. I have. The first of many, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, it's... it's. And apart from that, I mean, I was... One of the other features of the bed cave is, of course, the bedside hatchet. Yes. So... And crowbar. And crowbar. Yeah. Really, I think the best way to earn Sophia's love is through the gift of blades. Possibly. Listen, I do like weaponry, mm-hmm. especially if I have a way to display it in any way. Mm. It's good. I mean, would you say that you would instantly fall in love with anybody that got you a blade or does it have to be like a really good blade? I guess it depends on the kind of blade. Okay. Like what, what for the listener's information, what would be the kinds of blades that could win your affection? I mean, I feel like uh, replicas of uh, screen blades of things that I very much like. Mm-hmm. Uh Swords from Lord of the Rings, obviously, are very mm-hmm. popular and mass-produced. And it, it, they're usually not super well-made. But, 
having them on display is mm-hmm. nice. Perhaps Xena's sword would be another one because I love Xena. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And also she has a nice selection of chakrams to, mm-hmm. to go through. What else? What other kind of... Listeners, if you want to send Sophia knives, we will open a P.O. box. At any time. Listen, listen, listener. I have an Amazon wish list. On it are, in fact, some screen replica weapons that you are... You have full permission to simply purchase, and they will come to my home, and then I'll have it. That's how that works. Listeners, if you want to buy me knives, I don't know that you can afford them, but if you really you are, can... Yeah. I am an extremely discerning uh, blade sumer over here. Mm-hmm. Well, you have a, you have specific tasks. In yeah, I, I, they're all practical items yeah. for me. A lot of when I think of swords at this point is mostly that I would want to have a, a lovely display item or perhaps mm-hmm. a, a costume piece. The sword that I got that I got recently is a, a martial arts practice mm-hmm. kind of thing, which is really nice. It it's is a, tra- a trainer. Yeah, yeah. And maybe once I uh, get good at it and get forms and get you know a nice flow going maybe i'll want to graduate to a metal sort of variety sharp mm-hmm. or not uh, but i'm definitely not there yet so getting that feels a little premature mm-hmm. but i do have wall space for pretty things mm-hmm. so and yet i'm sitting here with you recording and not pinned to there bleeding out <laughs> yeah um i just said that i'm not there with knives and swords yet so (laughs) we'll get there okay pat 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 pat, someday bradley someday (laughs) don't worry look i there are are, i I have x's i don't have any exsanguinations oh so get at it all right well that is a message to sophia not listeners please i'm not inviting any of you to murder me hey (laughs) You people, get out of our conversation. This is a conversation between <laughs> friends about 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 murder, okay? Listen. Should and we get onto the podcast that we're we recording are, right now? This is the host chat. We are hosts and we are chatting. All right. We are okay. chatting and we are hosting. So I believe, should we hear Sophia, since I did it last time and nobody has said anything about it, give me a scenario. Imagine, if you will... A, a very young child, perhaps three years old. It is the break of dawn. As there's gray light outside. A few of the earlier birds are, are chirping in the trees. And this child rises from their small child bed. And it, it, the plastic creaks as they move. But their, their siblings in the same room do not awaken. And this child toddles out of the, uh, the little nursery and down the hallway into the kitchen and unlocks the back door and they let themselves out pushing aside the screen door that is old and a little rusty and then they toddle and flap their little feet across the dew-covered grass across their backyard and the neighbor's backyard to a doghouse where a dog stays chained up at all times outside this three-year-old child goes up to this large dog that is always kept outside chained to this dilapidated doghouse and just spend several minutes petting this dog alone at dawn why wanted to see a dog after several minutes in which surprisingly nothing goes wrong with this scenario the child turns around retraces their steps and puts themselves back to sleep although they don't remember to lock the door and in the morning the mother is curious why the back door is unlocked i have just told you one of my earliest memories as a human being. <laughs> and now, on 
to questions. Sophia, did we get any questions this week? No. Brad, did we get any questions this week? I told you not to bother me when I'm trying to sleep. I work nights. I work days. I pet cats in my off hours. I try very hard, so hard, every single day. I sleep for five minutes at a time. I'm trying to learn how to sleep off of Wikipedia in that one triphasic cyclic fucking sleep. I'm sleeping five minutes at a time, awake ten minutes at a time. I'm constantly shitting myself. And you're asking me if I have questions for a podcast? Who are you? How did you get in my house? Where are my socks? The socks are in the dresser. That was a question. Oh, yeah. Presumably they're in there, unless they're in the laundry, in which case the laundry needs to be moved along. But that's fine. Yeah, fair enough. Great. Great answer. (laughs) One follow-up question for you, Sophia. Uh What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Keep that. If you you edit that out. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So on... Send us questions, please. We don't have the energy to come up with them. We've been awake all day. Again. The sleepy Sophia. I'm sleepy. I, I'm not in my bed cave, so everything's I, bad. I was just shouting for no discernible reason. <laughs> Spooking the cats, I'll say. Yeah, they didn't care for that. So instead of a question, I, Brad, am going to ask Sophia... That's me. If. I swear to God, Twitter, if you don't shut the fuck up. I just tried to open to see if we did, and it popped up with the um, NFT icon thing. (laughs) Shut up. I just, listeners, right now, I'm going to promise you we're not going to do NFTs. We simply won't. We won't be doing that. The only NFTs we are interested in is nice fucking titties. Yeah. Or nice fromage too how about nipple friendly tank tops i feel like you're very focused on the boobs oh i was thinking in terms of like bodybuilders who really like those tank tops with the long strings and their nipples are always hanging out mm. well i mean you can get you know nipple fatigue and runner nipple or it gets very it, it, it chafes mm. you ever seen uh, pictures of the nipples? people well well have you Answer the qu- There's the question. Have you? Have you seen a nipple? I'm not here to answer questions. <laughs> yes, you are. You literally are here to answer questions. I don't answer to you. <laughs> you do. It's breast we don't continue this line of questioning. <laughs> right. Since you're going to be acting like a boob. Titty. <laughs> Sophia. That's me. I had an idea and I lost it. I'm just going to edit most of this out, but that's fine. <laughs> All right, that's fair. What's the most illegal crime you've ever committed? <laughs> How many listeners do we have now? I think uh, it said we have... 16 total listeners. Mm. You can assume all of them are cops. <laughs> then no crimes. Ah. None. I've never committed... A crime. Hmm. How about you? I'm afraid of commitment. <laughs> Do you have a question for me, Sophia? I was trying to think of a topical one, and I didn't didn't have one. So, mm. uh, sort of topical. What's your favorite kind of fish? I like that if you 
perhaps binged the episodes of our podcast, you would hear that we start a little shaky and then like we really set up like a really strong structure for ourselves that we follow very closely. And then we just kind of get shakier and shakier all over again. Like to be fair, I, I edit down so we fit structure pretty well mm-hmm. <laughs> like i just feel like uh, we, we, what the podcasts come out as versus how we record them there is a bit of a gulf i just i just think that when we really had very strong structures we had things like fake ads and and questions about monster fucking and now i have just asked you what is your favorite kind of fish it's a good question it's a fun question it's not really about monster fucking, but I don't care. What's your favorite kind of fish to eat, to look at, uh, to provide something? I don't know. Fish make other things. Hypoptopoma galare. Yeah? What's mm-hmm. that? They are essentially large Otis. So if anybody keeps fish and knows Otisinclus catfish, they're not technically catfish, but people, they, they love eating algae. So they get you know put forth as algae eaters. It's not a very good idea to try to do that in a tank because either you will need supplemental food or they will get overwhelmed and not do the thing you want them to do. But they are a particular configuration of fish that works very well with other things because they only eat that. They will not eat like baby shrimp, like every single other thing that eats algae or eats just vegetables will. If they see shrimplets, they'll eat them, except Otocinclus. And Hypoptopomagalare are functionally the same. They're like structurally identical to Odos, but they are larger, much larger, like three inches long. Whoa. They're real cool. I love them. I had the chance to keep them once and I loved them a lot. Also, Odos get a reputation for being like super chill and calm. They're not. They're actually just kind of stressed and overwhelmed when they're in small numbers. They are fish that love being in larger numbers. If you get like a proper school of Odos, like nine, 10 Odos or something in like a sufficiently large tank, they actually flit around a lot. And if you keep Odos and Cory catfish together, they move with each other. I don't know if there's some sort of similarity. Apparently, Cory catfish and Odos are actually, they both breed better when they're kept together for some reason. Huh. Yeah, I don't know. That's really interesting. Yeah, they're just like wingmen, I guess, or I don't know, like reverse cuckold fish. Polyamory would be. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, cool. Mm-hmm. Would you fuck it? There we go. I got it. <laughs> oh, you don't have to answer. We can just move on to the. I have gone to sleep in my bed, but I awaken with a chill in my nose, with wincing pain in my sinuses as I breathe in. And I open my eyes to a sharp, bright, pale blue sky, and I see my mattress is in the middle of a large, snowy field with yellowed winter grass. As far as the eye can see, I step out of my bed, the wind whipping through my hair, and I see that I am dressed appropriately for this climb. I have large, handmade garments on me, and set nearby is a horse. I've not ridden a horse in a very long time. I was never very good, but I mount this steed with alacrity and certainty. And as I ride toward the horizon, I know that where I am headed, although unknown to me, 
is familiar, peaceful, and fulfilling. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I would not fuck <laughs> that goddamn fish, <laughs> Sophia. What if it was a fish person based on this animal? I'm trying to imagine that configuration of fish onto a person, and it's a challenge. For You know what, listeners? I'm just going to pull one of these up for Sophia. Oh, cute. If I had my iPad on me right now, I'd start drawing. That's really pretty. So, listeners, we watched The Shape of Water. Spoilers, it was a really good movie. Yeah, it was really fucking good. So what we are going to do is what we typically do. We will go through the rough plot of the film and we will talk about our thoughts as we go. So, Sophia, who should be in charge of recounting the story and who should be in charge of talking? And I realize I'm asking you this question, but I actually want you to recount the story. Okay. So can you choose correctly? <laughs> How about you? Re- no, I'll recount the story. <laughs> and you can interject with uh, interesting tidbits and mm. commentary, mm. which I will then respond to with my own interesting tidbits and commentary. Mm. So I'm recounting the story? No, I will be recounting oh, the story. Oh, you know what? I like that idea. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, uh, I zoned out there for a second. <laughs> I was on that mountain again. Yeah. <laughs> Trying not to think about the nice fish man. Odo. Odo? The shape-shifting guy from DS9? <laughs> I meant the fish man that you just showed me. I mean... That is a fish man. Well, so people call it a giant Odosynclus, but it's not a giant Odosynclus. It's like a different species that just looks the same. So as IMDB Crazy Credits mentions, the movie opens on a flooded apartment and it's kind of like a, a a dreamy sequence going through the hallways and through the apartment and it is all flooded and things are floating around and it's very pretty. Um, and that will continue for the rest of the film. I will continue to say that it's very pretty or it looks like a painting or something and it, that just keeps happening. So if I'm not saying it, just assume that the shot does look like that. Or remember, because if you were listening to this without having seen the film... You are a fool. Anyway, so our main character wakes up from this dream that she is having of the the flooded apartment, I believe is what is implied there, is that she's dreaming about being underwater. Her name is Eliza Esposito, and she gets up from the couch, not the bed, where she sleeps, and starts going about her day. She puts uh, eggs on to boil, and she is making breakfast and food and getting dressed and polishing her shoes uh, and she uh, excuses herself to the bathroom for some uh, personal time, you know. Is it well? Are you gonna Are you gonna jump in and talk about the egg timer? Maybe I don't know. Or how she cranks one out while the <laughs> eggs are cooking. Oh my gosh, she adds it down to a science. Did you notice that her uh, her shoe polish brush is a duck? I did. It's very cute. I liked it. Yes. I don't. I don't think a a lot of things in this. Um, movie our symbolism i think the duck was just nice cute. it was just like oh that's a cute thing mm-hmm. let's have a duck i did I, as i mentioned i did like the pot for boiling her eggs because it looked really neat to mm-hmm. see all of the bubbles and i could not stop remembering just how bad of a material for like stovetop cooking glass is because it's it's an insulator it doesn't transmit heat or retain heat well Did the bottom, at all. Was the bottom glass as well yes. or was it how? Oh. Because you'd think if it was like 
the bottom part of this pot is metal and then like the walls would are still glass. be terrible you wouldn't be able to join them very well that's true not not like not in a watertight way exactly it's still it would still look very pretty but yeah. not be very usable there was a similar situation with a glass pan that was featured in an episode of breaking bad that people immediately went up and looked for and i mean it's terrible you don't want to use it it was used because they were able to use it they were able to do one of their those the shots that they loved to do in that show where you're like how did you put a camera in here like why is the camera looking from this specific thing and they had a camera from underneath it as something was being put into it but it's sounds more like a uh like prop than an actual useful item it was a real thing they were not very popular because, again, they were... They're shitty cookware. Terrible. Yeah. Uh, I recently saw a TikTok of someone making a uh, lovely chai drink, but unfortunately, it was a very pretty video, but the pitcher they were using that they had on the stovetop was also glass, and like, okay, it looks very pretty, and like, seeing chai, col- the colors of chai change, I mean, it's very pretty, and then they grabbed the handle with their bare hand... And I'm like, if it is hot enough to be boiling water in that glass, maybe don't. It's worth noting, though, if you are boiling something in a piece of glass, the heat still wouldn't transmit very well to the handle. You probably could safely do that. The handle was hollow, so there was liquid in it. Oh. Yeah. So again, beautiful glassware. Looks great. Looks great. Your bare hands are not good for that and if it's cool enough to did they did they burn themselves no they just picked it up it was just like a, then it was definitely not warm enough to be i'm saying it was actually a duet and the person duetting it was just was like looks at chai videos but then they refer to uh just bare handing this hot glass is ramadan strength and i'm like what the fuck <laughs> so i think that's great yeah anyway so she cranks one out of the bathtub <laughs> and not in the usual way which is, of course, to use the shower head itself. Well, I don't know that there were a lot of detachable shower heads she in had 1962. One. Did she? It looked like she had some. Anyway, you can also use just the faucet if you are able to position yourself correctly. But instead, she filled the tub. Impressive. Yeah. It's not that impressive. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then she takes some of that food. She makes a sandwich and uh, some of the hard-boiled eggs. And she takes them over to her neighbor who lives like... It, their doors are inches apart it's it's a pretty cute setup and i would love to live like that with a with a bestie not like i don't want to live with a bestie but like right next door i feel would be fine uh who is an artist and she has brought him food because he always forgets to eat uh what is this man's name i forgot his name giles giles and not from buffy giles different giles different well they could be related who knows wouldn't that be wild one sec. I have to look up the thing really. <laughs> there was a Buffy episode about the fish people. What do you mean about the fish people? About it's called Go Fish, and in it, uh, the swim team from Sunnydale High is transformed into fish people, and you know they look an awful lot like this dude. So maybe. Well, in that they were probably both visually inspired by. The creature from the Black Lagoon. Absolutely, they 100% were, that it's exactly the only uh, connection. However, what if, if... I'm trying to look at this on the Buffyverse wiki, and the half the page was taken up by a Sonic 2 ad. Could you please leave me alone, Sonic? Thank you. It's just called Go Fish is the episode. There's the fella. See? 
A handsome, handsome guy. That looks nothing like. They do in silhouette, not in the face, obviously, mm. because um, I'm going to say that Buffy didn't have the same budget, perhaps. That's his own hand. It is bursting out of his human skin. No, oh, fuck you. It is fucking Wentworth Miller. Yes, it is. <laughs> Wentworth Miller plays the, I think he's the, the captain. He's British? <laughs> his name is Wentworth Earl Miller Third. <laughs> since when? I guess since uh, his father was the second. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, we're so far we're, off track right we now. We got so distracted listeners, so fast. Listeners, Wentworth Miller is British. If you knew that, don't add us. Listen. Wentworth Miller, you can DM us. You're allowed to DM us. Update, listeners. Wentworth Miller was born in Britain and moved to the u.s when he was one years old so he doesn't have an accent unfortunately we did check he has an accent he doesn't have an english accent we checked we checked we listened to an interview just now what the fuck were we (laughs) where were we uh her (sighs) friend giles the painter he is an artist should i take over the story okay you want to take over for a little bit there and i'll just uh and i'll so Eliza very obviously has built a routine out of her life from day to day. She goes to work. She goes home. She make egg. She masturbate in tub. She bring food. She talk with her friend. That's it. Life is kind of mundane, but routine and nice. And she has her friend Zelda at work. And the people in her life have learned to understand sign language so they can understand her did you mention so far that she is a mute oh i didn't i because it didn't come up until like she talks to giles but and correct and it comes up as that she is mute she's not deaf she is mute she cannot speak but she uh does know asl and at least uh giles and zelda knew correct so we find out at so at her job which is at a secure government facility a new specimen comes in This specimen, we don't get to see at first, seems scary, turns out to be an amphibian man. He has gills, he lives in water, and the person who is coming, who has come to the facility in charge of this is Colonel Strickland. Strickland, right? Mm -hmm. Is he a colonel? Colonel Richard Richard Strickland. Dick Strickland. He has captured this animal, animal, from South America and is intending to research him for vague cold war astronaut purposes also accompanying him is a scientist named dr robert hofstetler i thought hofstetler worked there already nope okay he joined the team yep okay eliza has a moment of seeming connection with the fish man the amphibian man and immediately afterward we see that colonel strickland stumbles out into the hallway Missing two fingers. He's very upset. He backtrack. We are introduced to Colonel Strickland very intimidatingly. He's obviously trying to be friendly, but he's a very, very unpleasant, extremely masculine man. And I don't mean that these things are automatically the same thing. I mean that if you think about all of the 
negative associations that sexism and patriarchy, so on and so forth, have put into masculinity. He embodies all of them. He embraces all of them. This is his power. Being unpleasant to others, wielding influence over other people, not doing things just because other people think that you should. These are all things that he seems to consider strengths. Guillermo del Toro did this like very much on purpose, that it's not just he is unpleasant and he's not just using the amphibian man as a metaphor for racism or misogyny or any other kind of oppression or something. Strickland does all of those things normally. Mm -hmm. He acts like that, like that's just how he is. He is of the period and it's not, the story doesn't just use metaphor that like, oh, he discriminates against the fish man and just a metaphor for being a misogynist or, you know, pushing the other. No, he's also a dick. Yeah, he's also overtly misogynistic, creepy. Creepy as fuck. And racist. Yeah. Anywho, he gets his fingers bit off. Eliza finds them, gives them back to him. Eliza does not hesitate. She sees these fingers on the ground and she picks them up and a ring slides off and she just puts it in her pocket. She's like, huh, well, gross. And puts the fingers in a paper bag. I think it was her lunch bag. Yes. And uh, holds it out to the doctor. And he looks horrified. As one would if someone was holding out a bag full of human fingers. Well, not full, I guess is a strong word. And she just kind of like, she's smirked a little bit. Because obviously she is completely unbothered. And everyone around her is bothered. And she's like, (laughs) I'm cool. So she starts to form a bond with the amphibian man. She brings him food. She starts teaching him to sign because he also cannot speak human words. His his mouth and organs don't seem capable of doing that. But he very obviously understands the sign and starts to learn it. She plays music for him. She kind of dances with him. The amphibian man, of course, being played by the masterful Doug Jones. Doug Jones, you can DM us. At, at any time. Doug Jones, you were at the Milwaukee premiere of... Pan's Labyrinth, and I don't normally clap at movies. I clapped at that one because I thought you might be in the building, and it was a wonderful film, and you did a wonderful job in it, and you seem, by all accounts, to be a very nice person. So, good job, love it, amazing physical acting, and great. We find out that Dr. Hofstetler is a double agent for the Soviet Union. His He does not want the animal to be harmed, or the, the amphibian man to be harmed, the subject to be harmed, but his bosses... Uh, at the facility want to vivisect the amphibian Mm. man. Now it is worth noting listeners who may not know this distinction to dissect something is to take it apart and look at its component parts after it is dead to vivisect something is to do the same while viva it is alive. It's uh, the closest that we have now is like exploratory surgery. And even that is done with a much gentler touch and uh, but vivisection is brutal, it is barbaric, and it is not necessarily done with the intention of keeping the subject alive. Arguably, it is absolutely not done with that intention. Yeah. The goal is to take it apart and see how it's functioning as it ceases to do so. Yeah, it's, I'm sure it's very informative. It also is terrible. Listen, we all know peristalsis is cool, but we don't need to be looking at it all the time to understand it. At this point, it seems as though the U.S. government is tired of this project. They got this amphibian man. They brought him back. They don't really seem interested in anything other than 
learning as much as they can in a short period of time and then throwing them away. They explicitly say that this is for space race purposes, which doesn't make any fucking sense. Cause no, because even if you're in the void, gills aren't going to fucking help. That's not how gills work. Mm-hmm. Gills are to get oxygen out of the water, which mm-hmm. that works. That's fine. There's no oxygen in space. Wait, it doesn't so if work. I took a spaceship up into, let's say my best friend, Elon Musk, takes me up Yikes. in a spaceship and we fly halfway to Mars and he says, Hey, Brad, it's time to learn how to swim. I heard what you said about Teslas. And he opens the door and kicks me out. I can't swim back to Earth? No, that's not how that works. No, first of all, um, you can't really push against anything as you can push against water itself. Also, you would fucking explode from the the pressure. Would, uh, Would fuck around with your eyeballs first, it being the most obvious and soft parts. And then, you know... Point of order. Yeah? Point of order. I would breathe out. I would not hold my breath. I'm not a fool. Oh, okay. sorry. And Your eyes can't breathe out and the pressure will fucking explode I them. will tell you right now that before he kicks me out of the spaceship, I will have drank a lot of water. And the second that I'm out in space, I'm pointing my dick 180 degrees in every axis, one radian precisely away from Earth and pissing my way back. To our lovely little blue marble. You still, the urine still has nothing to push against unless, of course, you pushed against. No, the mass of the urine is heading away from me. And unless unless acted upon by an additional force, okay, I will continue to move towards the earth because the mass that is ejected. Your corpse will. The mass that is ejected out of me will be headed opposing me. You could propel a spaceship by throwing bowling balls out of it. Are you, sorry, are you in a suit in this scenario no. okay well then you've frozen my to death. dick is out yeah well then you've frozen to death with your dick out congratulations space exactly dick out i have been forcibly ejected from elon musk's spacecraft <laughs> uh it doesn't work that way however if you were to i don't know make a spacecraft that was full of water for some reason then you would what if i had gills. a spacesuit that allowed me to get my dick out that's what we all dream of, right? That's what NASA. We all dream on. of a spaceship that allows me specifically to get my dick out. Yeah, that's what NASA's been working on. Like, of course, we want to get back to the moon. We want to get, uh, you know, people to Mars. That's great. But one of the projects is, of course, a spacesuit in which you can whip your dick out. Yeah, safely. Ever since humankind first stared up at the sky <laughs> and wanted to be among the stars, people have wished that I could get my dick out. Yeah, people looked up at the stars and said, gosh, I can't wait for Brad to get their hands up there and undo Orion's belt. <laughs> so. <laughs> and fuck Eliza finds out <laughs> that the amphibian man is about to be vivisected. Dr. Hofstetler finds out and tries to go to his handlers and say, we have to get this guy out of there. They say, we have two options. Either... You do nothing or you kill the gill man or the amphibian man so that the Americans can't learn anything from him. Which, from their perspective, I do understand, you know, destroying the enemy's source of information. However, if they also thought through this, it is also useless for space travel. So, Yeah, wouldn't it be great for the Americans to spend their energy doing something meaningless? All of their money and resources Mm -hmm, focused mm -hmm. on that and then... Anyway, 
He uh-huh. does not want to do this, but he sees the plan that Eliza has put together, which is fairly clever. There's an access tunnel, which for some reason security elevation does not apply to, and she's able to get into and out of without having to card in or card out, and is not seen on security cameras. The one security camera she's able to move, and she starts going through the plan. Hofstetler sees this, takes out the power, and helps her get the amphibian man out. It's around this time we discover, because just before this, we we had it has, been, it has been intimated, but we officially discover that Giles is gay. He was probably fired from his job for being gay. He is lonely. He feels also excluded by society. And just before this escape attempt happens, because Eliza needs his van and his assistance to do it, he is not interested. He does not want to get into this. He does not understand why Eliza wants to get the amphibian man out. So the the main character is helping. You're not doing a very good job telling this in order. No, we are not. The the main characters of this entire story are apart from the amphibian man of like the heroes here are a the protagonists. The protagonists, sure, are a disabled woman, a gay man, and a black woman, and they are helping another outsider. And of course, this takes place in the 60s. So like all three of those people already are marginalized people. So like, good. Also, it was pointed out in one of the trivia things that Octavia Spencer, who plays Zelda, really appreciated that because Eliza is mute, most of the like monologues and and things came from a gay man and a black woman in the 60s that literally the main voices that you are hearing in these interactions are those two Mm -hmm. which is it's pretty great the speech that eliza gives to try to convince giles that they should rescue the amphibian man that makes me cry yeah it's one of the two parts in the movie where i start to feel lots of emotions. And I think let's keep moving going on with the plot and you go back and talk about sure. some of these elements. So as, as stated, they're able to get him out and this sets off a shitstorm at the facility. Strickland is on high alert. His job is at risk. His family is at risk. And we have seen that he does not like this job. He does not like being in Baltimore and he doesn't seem to care for his wife or family. He seems only to care for getting what he wants. And the status symbols. Correct. He purchases a very expensive car, which is, of course, destroyed or damaged severely during the escape <laughs> yeah, attack. He is attracted in a very creepy, controlling way to Eliza. It is around this time in the story, once things have started to go wrong, he hits on her in a very, very creepy way. He knocks a glass seems- of water off his desk and starts very verbally fetishizing her to her in a very ins- he's like negging her during this conversation which for those of you who don't know is a pickup artist manipulation tactic where you insult somebody as part of your flirtation yeah it, it's a way of them you insult them so that they also need to defend themselves to look for validation that it's not true or whatever which you can you can then give them yes it's stupid it's dark garbage. Don't put up with that. I feel like hitting on is a really um, gentle word for what he is doing. He is like... Harassing? Harassing. Absolutely. Because like she comes in and he is immediately talking about how her being mute is a turn on. And like earlier there was a scene of him having sex with his wife. And he 
said silence like said i don't want to hear any sound from you and it was first of all that looked like very bad sex second of all it was like very clear what he was envisioning what he was thinking about while having sex with his wife which was eliza which is creepy and then he just like outright says it like he's not even he's not even like trying to couch it in like double entendre language he is just saying it and i feel like one of the reasons that he feels super comfortable being this uh entitled yeah is because she is mute and like so in that in his mind well she can't say anything and who is she going to tell because she physically can't Mm -hmm. which is like and who's going to care yeah and like it's clear that that aspect also arouses him which is fucking awful. At this point in the story, he has lost a lot of power, so he's trying to exercise power over somebody. It is acceptable for him to do so. Yeah. and It's it, very creepy. Yeah. It's awful. I hate it. I mean, it's good for the story, mm-hmm. but, like, deeply uncomfortable. Thank you, Guillermo del Toro, for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he has also, you know, condes- he has condescended to everybody he doesn't work for. Yeah. there. Uh, when there's... The shitstorm mentioned after the escape, he is, you know, interrogating everyone and he just like refers to Eliza and Zelda as the help, which like, fuck you. (laughs) Deeply fuck you. Yeah. If you want to know what's going on in a facility, definitely don't ask the people who see everything and And who don't get everywhere. Yeah. Like, fuck off and he really just seems to like power plays with other people at one point dr hofstetler tries to go in and talk to him and he walks in starts to talk and 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 strickland tells him to go knock on the door and wait to be invited in so he goes out he knocks on the door comes in and as he starts to talk strickland tells him to close the door and he just he just loves fucking with anybody he thinks he can this is sort of reminds me of on a much lower scale if you go on a date with people Pay attention to how they treat people who have no power over them, people they don't need to impress. So waitstaff. If somebody is shitty to waitstaff, avoid, 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 run, Dump run, them. run. Yeah. Because the second that they feel that there's nothing they need to get from you, they will be shitty to you as well. It, pay attention, in fact, to friends. Anybody you meet, if everybody who they are not actively needing to get something from, if every person they used to know is either saintly or terrible, avoid. If you think somebody's being nice to only you and you're the one person they confide in and they're shit-talking everybody else, but you're the one person who's on the inside, red flag, red flag, red flag, because they may also, in fact, be exactly the same way shitty about you when you are not there. Basically, if people feel that they have nothing to gain from being nice to you, they won't. These kinds of people. Yeah. Because... They don't have to be. They have learned how to take advantage of other people. I'm not saying they can't be reformed. I'm not saying they can't grow and change. But if they are at that time that way, run, please, please. And that's uh, like a really good way that these characters are really uh, foils for one another and very clear opposites, especially like Zelda. Right. Mm -hmm. She has a lot to lose. She has a husband. She has a house. She has this job that apparently her husband is unemployed. So she is the breadwinner. Absolutely. And she is also the caretaker for the home. Like, so she has a lot to lose. And yet she still wants to help Eliza. Mm -hmm. She has to be convinced a little bit because it is a very dangerous thing. And I don't blame her for being hesitant. Um, But she wants to help because she 
wants to help. It is the right thing to save this creature that is helpless in this situation mm-hmm. and to help her friend and to be kind to her friend. And she, she never really gives Eliza a hard time because it's clear that Eliza is falling in love with this, with, with the amphibian man. Yeah. And Zelda never really gives her a hard, t- she's a little surprised. She's like, ah, didn't see that one coming, but is never like says anything like, but he's not human. You can't possibly, she never does that. She just accepts that her friend has fallen in love and you know, heart wants what the heart wants. And that's where she is. By contrast, earlier in the film, we see Giles when Eliza is turning channels and footage of riots, civil uh, not riots, uh, like <laughs> police riots. Yeah. Um, be people being people engaging in civil rights demonstrations and the police turning the fire hoses on them and such and he says turn that off i don't want to see that i don't want to see that and that's what he says that's what he says is, mm-hmm. i don't want to see that and when eliza turns to him and asks for help and we you know we get that amazing speech from her he's like I, this guy isn't human i don't want to do this and he has a lot to, he has a lot to lose and he's just barely holding on to his illusion that he can re-enter society and regain what he had. And it's not that he doesn't care about Eliza. It's that he is so fearful of never getting back what he thinks he wants and can have. And after he is rejected from work again, and after he goes to the restaurant where he has been starting to kind of form a connection with the proprietor or the the counter guy working at the pie restaurant, and because I don't know if we've mentioned, we've mentioned that Giles is gay mm-hmm. and we see him earlier in the film go to this pie restaurant where he starts to sort of form a bond with the person selling the pies who says, oh, I like it when you come in. You're an educated person. We get to talk. And finally, he, you know, says, I'd like to get to know you better, sort of touches his hand. And the guy says, whoa, whoa, you need to leave. This is the family this is restaurant. family restaurant. After he also then tells a black couple that they can get takeout only, they can't sit at the counter. These are reserved all day. And Giles says, you don't need to talk to them like that. And I think th- that interaction, those two interactions make him realize, no, people deserve better, even if they are not seen as desirable or even if they're seen as lesser than. They are people and they deserve better. And I think this prompts him to go, no, Eliza, if you say this is a person and he deserves our help. We need to give him our help. You deserve my help. We are. We need to be helping each other out, not trying to climb over each other on the way out. And like you, like you say, these people have have things to lose. And rather than seeing other people in a worse place and choosing to use those people, they are wanting to uplift and help those people in direct contradiction to what we see from Strickland. Yeah, it's Strickland is not a very subtle villain either. In no way, which I feel like uh, Del Toro doesn't have a lot of subtle villains. If a bad guy is a bad guy, you can tell they're doing monstrous things. Yes. Which is good. But I think it's... He still has very clear internal motivation. Right. I'm not... he's, a, he's a fully... I'm saying he's a clear bad guy in terms of the story, but he still is, a, I think, a fully rounded character with like an internal life and motivation. Was he one of the ones that read the backstories? It Del Toro, doesn't say. Del Toro wrote, allegedly, wrote massive backstories for all of the main characters, like pages upon pages. And some actors read Richard them Richard Jenkins was like, now. Nah. nah, I don't need that. Yeah. Which one was Richard Jenkins? Giles. Yes. Just to say, if it's not on screen, I don't need it. Which, 
All right, that's the way to go about he it. He gave an amazing performance. I have no complaints. So yeah. whatever works to get the good performance out uh, of him. But someone else, I don't know, who read all Hofstetler. of it. Hostetler. Yeah, Hostetler went ahead and like read all of it and really internalized it and said it really helped him. So all of these characters do have this enormous depth that was provided to them from as word of God. Whether they used it or not, you know, we don't know. But the person writing them like this script was written by someone who did know all of these, mm-hmm. whether or not the actors delved into it. So it is so well written so much. Stuff. When did this start getting written? I saw there were some like where he had, oh, this, I don't, I don't know. Apparently this was co-written with Vanessa Taylor. He formed the idea in 2011 and it was kind of inspired by his memories as a child of seeing Creature from the Black Lagoon and thinking, man, but I what want if, stuff to work out for that guy. <laughs> what if that guy had a girlfriend, <laughs> yeah. though? Which, yeah. Have you ever seen the pictures of the uh, the artist who designed... Yes, they're good. Uh, yeah, the, the mother of uh, of the, the creature. And, like, she's gorgeous. And then she has, like, the head next to her of the cast. Oh, it's good. So where we are in the story, I believe, Eliza is figuring out how to release the amphibian man yeah she's uh, brought him back to her apartment he is staying in her bathtub where she's got some salt and whatever the additive it is mm-hmm. that Hofstetler made sure that she had to to help him out and they are of course in in baltimore which is on the coast and she has decided that the right time will be when the rains come and fill a channel to the ocean mm-hmm will be the easiest way for him to get in the water and get out to the ocean so he can finally leave. But until then, he has to stay in her apartment in the bathtub, mostly, mm-hmm. in the salty treated water. Giles, at one point, is talking to him. He falls asleep, and the amphibian man gets out, eats one of his cats. I can't blame him. Honestly, look in. As I, if you are in an apartment, a bunch of hamburgers are floating around. Eat one. And no one has Nobody explained. Says, These hamburgers are friends. I. And the thing is, is that... Uh, Giles doesn't like the next time you see him and he explains what happens to Eliza he's like I really can't blame him I can't be mad at him he's an animal nobody's told him this yeah and And like he understands that so but when he sees it initially he he says like no don't do that because one of his cats is getting eaten so the amphibian man also freaks out runs out accidentally scratches his arm Eliza comes home finds him in the theater butt ass naked uh, the theater is basically empty because streaming is just destroying theaters. <laughs> and in the 60s. Yeah. They get, they get him back. And as he's being, as Giles is being bandaged up, and the amphibian man is, of course, playing with the cats because presumably they've communicated to him, friends, not food. He goes over to Giles, touches his head and his arm, and glows. Then we, f- we find out later, by the way, that healed him. It healed his wound, and it grew hair on his head. Shortly after this, Eliza and the amphibian man, they fuck. They fuck. They fuck. They simply fuck. They fuck. And we're very happy about it. Mm -hmm. Seems nice. Good for them. Yeah. And there's the funny scene of when she's at work, and Zelda is like, does he even have... And she does this cute little gesture explaining of how Mm -hmm. the... How the organ emerges and Zelda's line is something like, don't trust a man, even if he looks flat (laughs) down there. (laughs) So we get some timeline issues here for the characters in that Hofstetler is told, you're going to be extracted soon. We're getting you out of here. Your, your, your reason for this mission is gone. 
So we're letting you out. And he is very suspicious. When his handlers come to his apartment, he thinks he might be about to be killed there. So he's nervous. Strickland is told, you have 36 hours to find this specimen or you're, you're fucked. You are beyond fucked. You will be unmade. Yeah, that, that There's an excellent little monologue, speech where yeah. Yeah, General Hoyt says something like, there's decency. A, decent, the man has a, de- a man has decency not to fuck up. The other kind of decency, sure, we have lots of that. We sell it, but it's an export. We don't use it. Jesus. (laughs) And, of course, the amphibian man is starting to severely go south. He's not doing well. Yeah, he's deteriorating. He was not built to be It is around this time, though, that Eliza, in a nod, has to be a nod to delicatessen, they fill up the room with water. They stuff everything, uh, towels under the door, fill the room up with water. It's very sweet. Stuff starts to flood. Giles opens the door and Eliza is just like staring over the amphibian man's shoulder. Apparently, it's very nice. Um, I've seen in some interviews is Del Toro tried to do that as a child, not fuck a fish man in his bathroom, but block all of the drains in the door to try to fill up the bathroom. So it was a swimming pool. So that's where that came from for him. Although I wouldn't be surprised if it was also influenced by Delicatessen. Apparently, by the way, Sally Hemings immediately left the set after having filming those scenes mm-hmm. to go to film Paddington two, where she also had to do underwater scenes. <laughs> I assume nobody fucked a fish man in Paddington two. I haven't seen those. Films. You know People what? Like to watch those. <laughs> we may have to check. Huff Stutler is being watched by Strickland and the other guy from the facility played by the man who is Rodney McKay in Stargate Atlantis. Fuck. What is his name? Played masterfully, wonderfully by David Hewlett. Love that guy. But he gets kicked out of his own car after repeatedly telling Strickland that his hand smells because those fingers that we mentioned earlier that got cut off and reattached are badly deteriorating, turning black and smelling horrible. Yeah, so Strickland not only is just like his behavior is shitty, the way he treats people, he also now literally smells of death Mm -hmm. and decay. Mm -hmm. And like, oh, what a... What a great metaphor of his fingers rotting the fuck off to indicate how he has fallen. So he Got trails it. Hofstetler. Hofstetler gets shot by his Soviet handlers. And before he is killed, Strickland kills both of those guys and just immediately begins interrogating. Yeah. Hofstetler was uh, shot through the face a little bit and he has a he has a bullet hole in his cheek and Strickland sticks his hand in there and fish hooks him, literally, to drag him out into the rain to torture, to continue to torture mm-hmm. him, basically. Finds out that it was the cleaners, you know, the people who clean. They had thought up to this point that there was like a very precise, well trained. Like a 10 person Soviet strike team. Yeah. And Hostetler just says, they just clean. Yeah. Then he uh, Strickland shows up at Zelda's house, gives a very threatening monologue, in which wherein he... <laughs> he tears his own fingers off. You ever see that, that Tumblr post that's like a, a, a mob enforcer and it's like, beat the shit out of you, breaks my own fingers, and there's a response, oh, I might crack my knuckles. And then like, wait, that actually is just as intimidating. Yes. Yes, it is. <sighs> And what's his name? What's the husband's name? Husband. No. Brewster. Brewster. Zelda's husband, Brewster, tells Strickland what's going on. Zelda calls Eliza and they rush to go to the water to let the amphibian man go. They get to the water. 
start to let him go. And he says, you know, he signs you, me, together. And heart fucking heartbreaking. And Eliza says, no, you have to go. And suddenly Strickland is there. He like pistol whips Giles and shoots the amphibian man and Eliza. And they both fall to the ground. And he says, you know, I don't fail. And then Giles smashes him in the face with a piece of wood. Very gratifying. Absolutely. Goes over to Eliza and the amphibian man heals himself. Because as you mentioned, he healed Giles before. So that was kind of established. Uh, much earlier in the film, it was mentioned that the, the people in the area of the Amazon that they found this creature in worshipped him as a god and they're mm-hmm. like oh of course they would because they're you know horrible savages or whatever the fucking thing and he just heals himself and Strickland is watching like gobsmacked and the creature comes over to him and Strickland's like fuck you are a god aren't you Yep. and then he just gets dead just tears his throat right out Yeah. the creature to Strickland yeah. yes and then uh, the amphibian man goes back over to Eliza, picks her up, and hops into the water. And then some of the most beautiful moments. I've there's a lot of beautiful moments. I said this at the top that there this movie is absolutely beautiful. Much, everything looks like a painting. This scene specifically is what happens. Absolutely gorgeous. What happens, Sophia? So Tell they us. slip into the water, and he kisses her. And her eyes open, and so do the scars on her neck revealed to be gills. When she was a baby, she was found on by a river all alone with these scars on her neck, and they open into gills. And I think it is implied that she has been a water creature of some variety this whole time. I think you could you could infer that. It's also entirely possible that since the amphibian man gave Giles his hair back and can heal people that he, you know, rather than because healing is often the, the, the process of returning something to its previous state. Mm -hmm. If he's able to make these changes to the human body, he may also be able to make the changes to her body as they have been in contact so many times, so long to return her to a state closer to his, wherein she is healed from the gunshot and becomes more like him and gets gills. I mean, I think it's somewhat open to... Yeah, whether she... These it's were not explicit. just scars, or if she was a some kind of mythic creature found as a baby, and she's always had some kind of connection to water. Yes. So, possible. Either one are possible here. Um, And they just hold each other, and there's, like, they kind of are just treading water, and it is this beautiful, like, balletic shot that just kind of fades out over there's the 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 ending monologue of giles lovely voiceover from Giles, yeah and it's the the poem from which the the title is derived that the shape of love is the shape of water at all around me it very pretty Mm -hmm. now i also just want to roll back uh to the scene that we kind of skipped that makes me cry every single time i see the movie so giles and eliza watch musicals together so they, they do a lot of that. And one of the songs in, that plays a few times in the film, at, of course, thematically appropriate moments and all that, you know, diegesis and, and whatnot, is, you know, include the, the line, you'll never know how much I love you. I forget what it's from. And 
there is a scene right where they are planning to take the amphibian man out to the the ocean. He is sitting at the table. He says egg because he's about to eat an egg, communicating like, hey, I am talking to you. I'm, I'm sitting at the table with you. I'm about to eat an egg. And she starts to sign to him, you'll never know how much I love you. Then we get a spotlight on her and this character who is mute, we are told is mute, she cannot speak, starts to speak very pained sort of struggling way says that you know you'll never know how much i love you and i cried in the theater both times i saw it i have cried every single time at home (laughs) that this scene happens and then she starts to fucking sing and we get a musical sequence it's a dream ballet it's beautiful they're dancing together it's amazing i love it to death and uh, the Fred Astaire Ginger Rogers so piece good. is so good. That tar- that part I cry. I cry at the same part you cry at with the speech where she is talking to Giles. The the speech. So that monologue that is delivered through Giles because she is obviously signing this and she tells him, say what I sign. Yeah. Say exactly what I sign. So it is being delivered. He is the one saying it, but she is signing it. She is expressing this. And in it, she says of the amphibious man that when he looks at me, he doesn't see what I lack. He sees me for me. And that speech fucks me up. And it's really is not a stretch for me to connect it to queer identity is that you meet someone and they don't see that you lack a straight identity or whatever. D- despite being an ostensibly he- hetero relationship, I guess, amphibian man, mm-hmm. it this does feel feel to me like a very queer movie in the way that a lot of monster monster fucker content does. Yeah. It's if you are a a queer person and that's how you're identifying and connecting to it, absolutely. It's good. It is a good one to do. Del Toro talked about this one how he uh, thought of it very much in his experience as a uh, as an immigrant, and like that also absolutely being that much of an outsider, feared and being suspect. You know, all of the identities that these people have, you know, feed into that same thing. Only it just happens that one of them is an amphibian man, God from the Amazon. But like, <laughs> they all have that very similar thing from society at large is that they are different and feared and looked down upon all right well hi brad hi and brad of the <laughs> now future. that i spent like 10 minutes looking for this yeah line <sighs> listeners if you have gone through your life feeling as though mm-hmm the things you appreciate and the things that you feel and the way that you are and the people that you love and your relationship to them are trivialized and thrown out. And if this is part of the way that you relate to monster fucker stuff where you are told that the ways that you are, the ways that you live, the ways that you love are different and wrong and 
base and evil or sick or whatever just by virtue of existing and these are things that are not hurtful this 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 speech will is it may affect you as well and it's in this in this and the reason why eliza is speaking she cannot seem to communicate to giles that this is important that this other person matters that her feelings for him matter because giles does not cannot does not want to refuses to recognize this love and refuses to recognize him as the the, the amphibian man as important as mattering as a and, person and the frustration that eliza is feeling in this and the impact that she is signing so hard and trying to communicate so strongly to giles who does not want to see he does not want to look turn that off turn that off i don't want to see that it, it hurts the frustration because she loves him like giles like they are they're you know they are found family they matter to each other and he is just dismissing the basic humanity and the existence of someone she loves it's not it's not the same thing but the the frustration that i remember feeling when i was younger and i would see something beautiful or something wonderful and i would share it with somebody something that made me, that was you know vulnerable and it would just be destroyed i remember when i was a child i was in second grade and there was an area near the playground where it was somebody's backyard some house that was nearby somebody in the backyard and there were these dandelions there and they were so big just these huge dandelions and they were very pretty and i liked during recess to just go over there and chill out and you know in, in my head is something i did a lot but realistically i did it for maybe a few days i don't know who knows i didn't want to share it with people because i was worried i was afraid somebody did notice i think i told one person and they mentioned it to somebody else those other people saw me go over there went over there and just started took like a stick and just started like whipping these dandelions down just cutting them down they were these beautiful things that i didn't want to share with anybody i didn't because i was afraid of what would happen to them what did happen when i shared these with somebody is these this beauty this softness this vulnerability this thing that brought me peace and joy people delighted in destroying and that softness that joy that desire to interact lovingly with the world that feels like weakness and vulnerability to, to have something in the world that you love and to know that other people don't care about it hurts the glee that people seem to take in hurting those things having eliza see the amphibian man knowing that he has done nothing wrong just existed and the glee that strickland takes in hurting him because he can and then going to somebody who she loves and she trusts and saying this this wrong thing is happening you know me and you love me and you know what it is like in the world when beautiful things and things that don't deserve pain are just destroyed for no reason and to have this person she trusts basically say well that doesn't affect me the pain and frustration in her dialogue is is very powerful that scene it just it it hurts it hurts real bad <laughs> i think it is also like 
to add on to that, that she can't say it. She is making him say yeah. it and he is yeah. still not getting it. He is not on board, even though he is saying these words with his own voice. Yeah. She has made him involved and he still refuses to engage, to believe her. Yeah. Anyway, movie <laughs> good, movie good, Do Brad like. make a joke about fish stick? I don't know. Yeah, I don't After know. that one, I, I feel know. like Sorry. I can't follow it up. Sorry, I don't, I'm not great at like earnest emotional expression listeners. So I hope that was insightful and instructive for you. Uh, don't, don't expect it. Don't expect it. It's just, <laughs> it's just going to be more jokes about space travel by pissing. So <laughs> if you got whiplash from this episode, sorry, yeah, yeah. sorry, sorry about that. Contact listeners. our lawyers. Uh, Sophia, any, any other pieces of trivia about the film? I think we, we went through the story and then we went back and talked about it. Uh, I don't know. We don't have the trivia page up there for me to remember <laughs> Listen, I don't. There's fucking 62 items in the trivia. I know page, it's fucking and half wild. of them are like, uh, the speech that Kennedy gave was given 17 days later. Which is sure, but this and also, none of those things noticed what I noticed, which is that the padlocks were anachronistic. Do I care? You could add that to IMDb. If I you don't want to. <laughs> I don't, who cares? It just has to be true to the story. On that note, on that note, unless you have anything else to add about this. Watch this movie. Yeah, Please, listeners, if listen. you have feedback or thoughts, we will devote a huge chunk of another episode to doing that, to talking about it with you. Yeah, if you want to give us your thoughts on Shape of Water, we will absolutely discuss them and uh, give them airtime. Yeah, and also, thought. listeners, if you have any subject matter experts you'd like us to speak to, be they academic or just people who, ha artists, anything else, we would love to talk to people. We have somebody planned to come here and talk about a little short kind of mini essay thing that they wrote and i'm very excited to talk about it with them i guess then are we on to watch this movie watch this movie watch this movie if you watch nothing else that we have watched and talked about that's fine yeah they're like, okay they're pretty good most of the other things some of them are great but they're the some of them are great some of them are not yeah this one, though. Please. We, we we tried to talk about it. The reason we kind of struggled to talk about the plot of this movie is it's hard to not want to talk about every little detail. This movie hits us in real soft places yeah. in a really good way. <laughs> Absolutely. And please watch it. <sighs> Recommendations other than this film, Sophia? There's a video game that I'm interested in playing when it comes out. It is called Stray. You play a stray cat that is navigating a... Uh, post-apocalyptic city that's filled with robots and it looks very cute it's kind of a platformer adventure game and you you are literally playing a cat trying to find its family going through the city and one of its big selling points is that you can go up to the robots and uh, rub up against the robot legs and um, be affectionate but it just looks very cute and i do really want to play it and it is going to be on steam neat how about you i have two recommendations Great. one of them coming off of the other one so first of all the gay pirate show that your friends won't shut up about is mm -hmm. good. Please watch it. The thing about that show is that... Our flag means death, Our by flag the way, means death, yes. If you don't know. Which, the, if you don't know what gay pirate show we're talking about, who are you and how are you listening to this podcast? If you found this podcast, you probably know that. But on the off chance that you're just a friend of mine, <laughs> go listen or go watch. The, the show starts off with a lot of things that in any other show you'd expect 
for the fandom to go like, that's the non-binary character, or the, I bet those two are, are in love, or whatever else. But you don't expect it to be in the show. You expect to be queer-baited, or at best, get a nod to something. Or, like we've managed to get in children's media, where the creators have just wedged stuff in there, so it can't be taken out by censors. Things being kind of just normal, in-universe, maybe one or two examples. Basically, everything that is baited or suggested in this show is not bait. It is a thing that just happens. It's, there is a non-binary oh. character who they don't go through. They don't have to illustrate it with a scene going, my pronouns are this. Nope. Just happens. Oh, I think I'm going to do this name now. And then like everybody it, just uses they, them pronouns, and that's it. And it's there done. was the, the funny discussion of, if, if you're not Jim, can I be Jim? And that's just like <laughs> a really cute thing. <laughs> and like... That's it. And if you want people to be in love and kiss, you may, like me, end up flailing your way half off the couch when it happens. And I don't want to say anything else. Please watch the show. But in universe, in this show, there people are shitty about relationship choices. They don't seem to be dealing with the 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 the, the homophobia is not the the issue in those. And just that thought. The idea that people could just be gay and like each other and the uh, the people, the thing you're mad about is the relationship choice reminded me of a film that you should all watch if you want. Me included? Yes. Okay. I think I've probably shown it to you. A gay film that is not about the pain of being gay. Now, look, I love, my, I love my, <laughs> I love my tragedy as much as anybody else. I saw Brokeback Mountain in theaters. Okay. I cried. When, you know, Jack, I swear, I cried. I cried into my popcorn. But there is a film in which homophobia is alluded to as a thing that has to exist for a character to be hesitant to talk about being gay. And that's it. It is a rom-com where an entire town gets together to get an artist who's in there from the big city to take care of his ailing relative together with a shy native man who runs a convenience store they are both they are both shy can't admit that they're in love with each other and the whole town gets together to get them together that's it what the is this film big eden you haven't seen it i haven't seen it we're watching it okay we're watching it listeners watch big eden watch big eden find it give the people who made it money please And just watch it. Please watch Big Eden. More people should see this film. It is a gay movie that is not about homophobia. It's just a cute romantic comedy. And you want those two to get together. You're like, oh, you're a big city guy, but you're in a small town now. And look at this man who obviously loves you. Huh? Very Hallmark. It is, but gay. Fucking great. And the whole town, all the meddling old men who like sit in the convenience store smoking all day and talking. There's like a whole scene where they are like around the convenience store watching what's happening like peering through the windows fucking gossiping and and talking shit because they're like why don't these two just to get together already <laughs> listen tragedy has its place because things can be tragic and tragic stories are very good however it is also nice to be happy <laughs> so look i'm not good at it but i appreciate it in film <sighs> yeah so that's it. <laughs> so Hellraiser isn't that movie? Ha- no, sorry, sorry. I love I love Hellraiser, but uh, for this recommendation, it's Our Flag Means Death, and then also please watch Big Eden. Just please watch Big Eden. If you can come away with two things from this episode, it's watch the movie we're talking about, please don't be mean to me, and 
watch Big Eaton. Can I add, don't be mean to me either. Please don't be mean to Sophia. If hey, you have don't to be, be mean, mean to, to one us. of us, be mean to me, but like, don't be mean to Sophia. I understand that we invite a lot of people to like message us and send us emails and things, but you're not allowed to be mean in them because we're... <laughs> yeah, Ben Browder, we're... you're allowed to DM us. Don't be... Anybody involved in Our Flag Means Death, you are also allowed to DM us, but don't be mean to us. You can't be mean to us. Taika Watiti, please don't make fun of my hair. Don't. I think you'd like it. Don't bully me. Don't bully I'm... me. Or Sophia. We're, we're sensitive people. <laughs> we're all sensitive people. Hi, it's me, Brad. I'm currently editing the episode, and I realize we forgot to plug our social media. So find us on Twitter and Instagram at MonsterFWB. Find us on TikTok at Monster underscore FWB. Send us questions or suggestions at monsterfwb at gmail.com. Just make sure to let us know in the subject line if it's a question or whatnot so we don't miss it. And finally, because we have mentioned it and we don't have it up yet, I will give you our current DM list. Sophia is not here. She can't stop me. Cast of Farscape, you are welcome to DM us. Doug Jones, you are welcome to DM us. Claudia Christian, you are welcome to DM us. The artist known as Condom, the actor known as Wentworth Miller, and obviously the director, Guillermo del Toro, you are all welcome to DM us. Brock Lesnar, you are welcome to DM us if you pay us $50 per DM. Thanks. And before I get to say goodbye in the episode, I'm saying goodbye now from the future of this recording and from the past of when you're hearing this. Bye-bye. I have been Brad. I've been Sophie. This has been Monster Friends. With benefits. Goodbye from hell. Thank you for watching.